Welcome to the Hustle or Bust podcast powered by Paver Art. Our mission is simple, to dive deep into the world of entrepreneurship, small business, and all the success, struggle, and challenges that need to be confronted in the pursuit of growth. We celebrate the entrepreneurial spirit, but perhaps most important, we want you to learn at least one idea that you can put into action immediately to make your investment in time worthwhile. Welcome to episode 24 of the Hustle or Bust podcast. In this episode, we are proud to introduce you to Mike Marino, a comedian affectionately known to millions of his fans worldwide as New Jersey's bad boy of comedy. As you can imagine, we had a bunch of laughs on this podcast, but don't be distracted by that. Show business is a tough, tough business, and your job is really to get a job. He's accomplished that, and he's accomplished that with excellence. We hope you enjoy it, and drop us a line with some feedback. Welcome to the Hustler Bus Podcast, powered by Paver Art. My name's Mike Bull. His name is Mark Olivito. And we're honored to have as our guest today, comedian, commercial actor, podcaster, video mogul, and about 10 other things that I just don't have time to list. Mike Marino of Jersey City and Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Michael, welcome. Thank you for being on our show today. Thank you very much, guys. It's great to be here on your show in my basement on your show. <laughs> now, what, what are some of the 10 things that I that I didn't list that, that are some of the know, other man. things that you do? I mean, come on. All it's, I ever wanted to be was an actor, so I don't know what the heck is happening. <laughs> well, and then you know what? That's got to be in there, too. I, I did put commercial actor, but the uh, uh, the you know, when, when I was doing the deep dive on you and by the way, Mark's Mark's got me up to date with you, too. Um, I'm looking for the criticized was the name of the movie. Was it not? Yeah. What's and, and you played a detective in that movie. Yeah. You know, what happened was a uh, friend of mine wrote, produced and was directing that project called criticized and it's called criticized because uh, there's a critic in the movie who put out a bad critic uh, or critique on a, a director. And that director ends up killing some of the uh, critics who put the, uh, the the stories of what they thought that movie was like in a paper in the movie. Uh-huh. And he kills them the way he critiqued the act, the uh, director's work. So there's actually a scene where he said, um, I'd rather have my eyes burned out than ever watch oh. a movie like that again. So naturally, the killer burns out his eyes and so on and so forth in the movie it's kind of like the movie seven so it's a thriller and when they went into casting i was going to play like the fifth lead which was a police officer Mm -hmm. after a couple of days filming the co-star who is the young kid who was in all the terminator movies Mm -hmm. uh, was having some problems getting up in the morning and getting out of the trailer So uh, my buddy who was the director said, all right, Mike, take this script. You're co-starring. Let's go. Wow. And I'm like, uh, I'm ready. So it was a role of a lifetime because who doesn't want to play a co-starring role? And you get to drive the cop car and down the city streets with the cameras on the car. And you get to be in a scene where you know you're 
going to eventually get shot. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to take the bullets. So it was a great movie. The movie's called Criticized. You could see it on criticizethemovie.com, but I believe it's in uh, it's on Amazon and and channels like that. So great, great movie. I was happy no. to be part of it. I guess I blew the end that I get shot, but it's pretty cool the way it happens. <laughs> hey, the uh, it's you know it's it's interesting and it's always been interesting to me, but perfectly understandable how so many comedians. I mean, who look, you're the you're the truest of the true entrepreneurs. I mean, you basically you're running everything, okay? And you're running your own schedule. Time management's got to be, you know, you got to be excellent at time management. You're just doing all these things to work your business every day. Uh, and the biggest part of your business is being on stage in front in front of all these people, just putting putting your shit out there is the way I would put it the best. You're just putting it out there every time that you perform. And quite frankly, I can understand why a lot of comics make pretty damn good actors. You know what I mean? It's the, it's, it, I can see why that would come naturally. Uh, did it come naturally to you? I mean, did you feel comfortable in the, you know, playing the part? Uh, yeah, because I'm the reverse. I, I went to acting school most of my life. I set out to be an actor since I'm a kid. Let me get rid of my phone. I set out to uh, be an actor and I started acting when I was about maybe four years old, got into the Screen Actors Guild. I was probably 13 years old. Oh, uh, doing TV commercials is acting. It's just, you know, kind of back in the day was the supposed to the, uh, the worst form of acting. But I ended up getting nominated for a Clio for a commercial I did where most people thought I was a real Marine coming home from boot camp on United Airlines. So it was crossing into stand-up. That was the difficult part. So what I did was I said, oh, I'm going to be an actor playing the role of a stand-up comic. And I learned to deliver stand-up comedy through the eyes of an actor. Interesting. Wow. Uh, now uh, you, you become so addicting to, addicted to live performing that I would say that I'm a comedian before I'm an actor. However, the comedian, uh, the word comedian and the word stand-up are actually two different things. Stand-up is a person who does stand-up performances. Mm -hmm. A comedian is a person who could do comedy in any situation. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. When, Mike, when did that transition happen from actor going towards comedian? What part of life was that? How old were you? I was about 29 years old they were having a comedy competition at a place called the Sunrise Pine Room in Bayonne. And a bunch of my friends were out there just having some drinks in the bar because I knew someone who owned it. And they were having the comics were going up on stage, cracking jokes. And I was like, let me do that. Give me that thing. <laughs> and so on a whim, I went up there and I said, my mom does this and my father does that. And they're like, this guy's a genius. I'm like, no, I'm not. My parents are outside. <laughs> and uh, I think I won $50. And I said, I could do it. What's the big deal? So for about a year, I would go to Rascals down on the Jersey Shore yep. on Tuesday nights and rehearse open mic at the time where open mic was like a thing. I mean, the place was packed every Tuesday night looking at the gong show. And, and you know, you didn't, it didn't have to be a famous comedian. They went just to see who would be on stage. And... Uh, so that's where I cut my teeth for about a year. And then I moved out to Los Angeles and I got lucky enough to become part of the comedy store. 
and the owner saw me doing stand-up. At that time, I was actually doing impersonations because I thought that would be the thing to do. So I was imitating every Italian actor you could think of. And the owner said to me, that's not going to work. Tell me who you are. And I went back months later and I tried again. And she says, you're not telling me who you are. And I went, you know what? Fuck this bullshit lady. I can't stand this stuff. I don't even like the pizza here in California. She goes, that's who you are. Perfect. Oh my goodness. That's so what was her name? Mitzi Shore. And Mitzi Shore. Okay. Polly Shore's, Shore's mom. Yeah. So yes. was it the, when she was trying to get at the essence of you, was it the Jersey DNA kind of infused into you? Um, I don't think she knew it was coming, but she wasn't getting what she wanted. So when I got frustrated, the Jersey in me came out and she said, yes, that's, that's the guy. Right. I think it was like two months, two, two years later when I started hanging around with uh, Andrew Dice Clay, cause he was always at the club. Mm-hmm. He was getting ready to go on tour and he called himself uh, Brooklyn's bad boy. And then there was a guy, he said, that's Boston's bad boy, and that's uh, Florida's bad boy. And he looked at me and said, you're New Jersey's bad boy. Awesome. That's pretty cool. What, uh, when you moved out to L.A., was that to pursue acting or the comedy? Acting. Got it. First time I went out to L.A., I was probably 23 years old, and I was working on As the World Turns. And they weren't deciding whether I was going to be on the show for a contract or a recurring player. And I had friends going out to L.A. for the first time. And I had a bunch of commercials running on television. So I was making money no matter what. So I figured I'd go out there. And I did stay for about three months, came home with my head between my legs and didn't want to ever go again. Then a year later, I figured, you know what, it's pilot season. They would do this thing with pilot season the first three months of every year. And that's when I started going all the time. And then who knew I would actually move out there. I didn't think I was going to do it. But I have a residency out there. I'm actually licensed as a Californian. I vote in California. And I have my place here. And you split the time half. half. Well, you're on the road, really. Every When I was looking at your schedule, you were on a road in the past 45 days. Is it every week you're on a road somewhere, right? Yeah. Because now that the world is opening up the way it is, seems like the entertainment is really jumping off it off the hook and you're going to get to get go anywhere you want so i did a couple of weeks on a cruise ship cruise ship to la la to chicago chicago to jersey i got a bunch of shows to do next week and then i'm going to go back on a ship then another ship then another ship then florida then canada then chicago i mean thank you lord <laughs> Thank you. It's fantastic. I look at the schedule. I'm like, oh, wait a minute now. I don't know if I can make that. I hope the plane takes off. Please don't snow. I'm really cutting it close. I'm curious when you, with all this performing, is it the same act every single time? How, how do you work in new material? How, how, how does the writing process work with the performance? It's a little bit of a catch 22. A lot of people think you got to come up with all this new stuff, make it a new show all the time. And it's kind of not. There are some audiences that, that want to hear classic jokes that you're known for. If you don't do the classic jokes that you're known for, that audience is going to get mad. If you do a lot of new stuff, some audiences might not like it. If you don't do new stuff, some audiences will say he's doing the old stuff. So it's almost like being a singer. If I went to go see Bruce Springsteen now, I I want him to do Born the Run. I want him to do uh, Rosalita. 
Right. He might not do it. He might do everything from newer albums. Then this audience member is going to be disappointed. <clears throat> so it's, the I... same, it's almost the same thing. So what I do is uh, we usually do like, oh, say, a one hour show. Uh, we'll do 20 minutes of what I see in the neighborhood. I'll just go off the top of my head and make stuff up. Sometimes there'll be stuff I wish I would remember, but most of the time it's stuff that only works where you are. Sure. Uh, last week when I was doing a show in Chicago, I went out to dinner the night before the show and I learned that you can gamble in restaurants in Chicago. Hmm. I never heard that. Yeah. Could you imagine going down to a local pizza place and there's slot machines? It's not happening here. Well, right. there were three slot machines in this man's restaurant. He wanted to come to the show the next night. So when he came to the show, I told everybody I had a great dinner at this man's restaurant. It was fantastic, but I lost $30 playing one arm bandit. So I stole the ATM machine. <laughs> now it just takes you into a, a routine that's going to last about 10, 15 minutes about taking things. Because let's be honest, you know, I was always brought up that if I saw something and I wanted it, I was going to take it. And uh, so I said, you know, when I lose $30 in a restaurant, somehow <laughs> knives and forks are coming to my house. <laughs> what, is, what, what did Rodney say? I think Rodney, Rodney said, yeah, I lost I lost $1,000, but I stole I stole 400 sweet and lows or something like that. Yes. <laughs> you know, I got I have to tell you that uh, when Mark first told me about you, it didn't register. But when I started doing the deep dive in, you know, in, into the background of your career, uh, I came across the Comics Unleashed thing on YouTube. Now, I'm addicted to that show. Whenever, whenever I can find it, whenever it comes on, um, the, uh, uh, I, mean, I love the format. Four comics. Some of them I know. Some of them I don't know. But Byron Allen, who's got about 90 shows on all different kinds of formats, the uh, your bit, and you were talking about stuff that you sometimes you'll bring it back up again. Sometimes you read, sometimes you don't. If I went to see you live and you didn't do the Bin Laden bit, I would go away unhappy. That has got to be. I laugh today. I I over every time I see you do that. I've shown that. Um, uh, I, I was I watched it last night and I sent it to about fifteen of my friends. You've got to check this out. Because these guys don't watch these guys don't watch uh, uh, the comics unleashed as much, not as much as I do. That was comic gold. Is that do you get laughs on that everywhere, wherever you do, wherever you do that? I haven't done it in a really long time. I started to do a lot of different new material. And uh, yeah, a lot of people do say to me, hey, could you do that? Could you do yeah. that joke? Are you that guy that did that joke? Yeah. Hey, you're the guy that did that joke. And you know, it's the oddest thing is it took me a year of begging to get on that show. Really? Casting director just didn't like me and I never even met him. And then one day a new guy went working in there and he was from New Jersey and he worked at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood. So he knew me and he knew my work and he called me up and he said, hey, listen, come and tape the show i'm like this is just ridiculous i can't believe i begged and borrowed and tried and they wouldn't let me play 600 comedians and getting on the show i can't get on the show 
So I says, okay. So I go down there and I tape the show and lo and behold, number one comedian worldwide. Hmm. How much oh, is that? That, thing, that thing hit 14 million people. And I was offered a development deal working with Byron Allen. Now, unfortunately, well, the highest, I got to tell you the highest compliment I've seen enough of them to know that when, uh, you know, uh, when a standup does his, you know, his little segments on that show, and you watch Byron Allen's response, he always laughs. He couldn't stop laughing when you did that bit. I mean, I'm, I'm I looked at that, I looked at it again and again, and I'm like, he, I get, I'm not surprised that he offered you a contract. I mean, that's just uh, not surprised at all. Sad to say, I ended up doing six more of the shows, but we never did the development deal. I was really hoping we were going to. He had some ideas that he wanted to do. But, you know, it was still in the game. I'm still known for that one particular joke, which spun us off into my own web series, Make America Italian Again. Sure. So sure. now we're going to continue going with some other jokes that should hit viral stuff like that. And don't forget, you know, that came out when YouTube was kind of new. And the reason why it went viral is because it was there was only a certain amount of social media outlets. And we were still coming off of MySpace. Facebook was kind of new. Uh, there was no Instagram. There was no reels. There was no stories. Sure. No TikTok, none of that. So hopefully we can get a rejuvenance on that particular joke. Unfortunately, it only seems like what's going on in the world, the joke becomes relevant. Mm. But oddly enough, I didn't really know I was going to do what I did, and I had no idea it was going to hit that hard. You know, when you do studio audience shows, the audience is prompted to laugh. You know, they got those signs, laugh, laugh now, 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 now. And sure, I think it was like the fourth segment they did that day. Maybe it was the last one, and the audience was really dying down. And for some reason or other, it was one of those magical moments when you say to yourself, I'm going to stand up and get out of the chair. That's nobody does that. Nobody I, did it. You, nobody's I, I I've never seen everybody. anybody stand up. I got out of the chair because <laughs> I heard the audience start cheering and I'm like, they're going to take this ride and I'm going to knock this out of the ballpark. I'm going to take all the dirty joke words out of the bit, keep it clean for television. And away I went. And who your, knew it was your moment. We call it here at paper art. We call that your first, although it wasn't, maybe it wasn't your first big thing, but it was one of the first big things that kind of broke you. And that's, uh, uh, I think that's, that's, that was just a fantastic, fantastic moment. So. Well, when you were, uh, Mike dive a little deeper, you said there was a year of struggling to get onto the show. Yeah. You know, you have to submit your work to be considered for a talk show, any talk show. And uh, I was submitting and submitting and calling and pleading and begging and asking a publicist and the agent, and the casting director. And then I gave up. Then my buddy called me up and he goes, come tape the show. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> but that's showbiz. I mean, I spent 10 years doing stand-up comedy as the host and presenter of the Feast of San Gennaro in Los Angeles. And on the board of directors was the executive producer of the Jimmy Kimmel show, Jimmy Kimmel, Adam Carolla, and myself. And those guys never put me on the show. They kept telling me I wasn't right for the show. However, I was doing sketch comedy on a Tonight Show for 10 years down the block. Mm -hmm. 
right. with Jay Leno. Yeah. You look at these people as if to say, how could you be right for one thing and not right for the other? And now you see in the news, some girl had a can of beer thrown at her at Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club down on the Jersey Shore, which is a nasty thing to right. do to anybody. Right, right. That guy should have been beat up immediately. Sure. And Jimmy Kimmel calls and says, I'll come and do the show. I feel like calling Jimmy and say, Jimmy, you know, we've been throwing things at me for my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. But that's now, just the way this is. So, so then I'm curious. Again, so when, when I see what one of the things I'm fascinated with you, I had to watch your morning walk four times a week. Every time I see it, I just find myself, I got to at least tune in a little bit. So talk a little bit. It's almost like the impression that I get, if I were to relate this to small business, your morning walk and, and whatever there are, 30 people coming on, they're looking at you. You're almost building an audience one at a time. You're creating a following. I'm fascinated. The other day you were, you were walking through Scotch Plains and you said something so simple. It was like, it brought a little, I don't know if it's a slice of joy. You're talking about freshly cut grass, right? And I'm thinking, it hit me. I'm like, man, that is pretty cool. You're appreciating the little things of life, but I'm trying to say, all right, you're, when you had the four tenors on this week on live from your mother's basement, they were talking about all the rejection and all the auditions that got to go on to Broadway. And then I'm trying to reconcile this thing that you do every day, the morning walk. I'm curious, how did you develop this morning walk routine? What are you trying to do there? Is it just simple as getting exercise? Go into that a little bit. I was intrigued by the whole thing, how that connects to the world of building an audience. During the pandemic in Los Angeles, I didn't have anything to do. We were confined to the house. And I guess everybody was assuming it was going to last a couple of weeks. And that would have been that. So I would just get up every morning and I started exercising and trying to go to the gym. And one of the easiest things to do and the most joyful things to do is to walk, just right. go. If your body can do it. And uh, my producer Tatiana said, why don't you take your morning walk and turn on your camera and let people see what you're doing? And I said, for how long? She goes, five minutes, 10 minutes, just go live. So I did. And then I found out that I was actually making myself happy by talking to strangers while I walk in an area where there nobody was walking. And if they were, they were wearing a mask. So nobody was saying hello to anybody. Right. And when I was doing it, it started to transcend and grab followers in different parts of the world. I had people writing in from different parts of the world. So now it's actually... I don't know who it's more fun for, me or the people watching. And this morning was when I was talking about the cut grass because it's cut grass and it smells great. Right, yeah. And you're in my hometown. I'm on the street I grew up in. I want to go to the park. I want to see where everybody is. I want, I, it makes me remember. And everybody seems to take the ride with me and they'll start telling me about their lives. So if you notice, there was a girl from Germany who called in yep. and I told her, yeah, go ahead. I'll turn it on. She's in Germany. Oh, well, cool. she's friends with Dean Martin's daughter, Dina. And she found out that I was Dina Martin's opening act. And I know Dina for 30 years that we met on the Jimmy Kimmel stage when we were performing at the feast. I don't think she was even on the show. Mm. And, uh, the connection is great. Now, here's a girl who's, I don't know, 23, 24 years old, wants to be a singer. She's got an unbelievable voice. She speaks four languages 
And now all my friends watching the show are now her friends. And I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful way of communicating with uh, good people. Every once in a while, you get somebody say something stupid, but you don't have to pay attention. <laughs> well, where I give you credit, I mean, it, it, it's pretty cool. I'm thinking, that here's a guy that's packing a room. He's doing it all over the country. And you're thanking one random person on Instagram and then another person and then another person. I'm like, there's a lesson to be learned here for small, forget about small business, all businesses where people come in, they don't even respond to comments. They don't return emails, phone calls. I mean, you're doing it right. I mean, there's a lesson to be learned here for one person at a time, try and form a little bit of a connection. And now I'm, I'm kind of in a habit. I see Mike Marino live come up on Instagram. I'm tuning in. It might only be for 45 seconds, um, but you get a little bit of a glimpse into your world, which is kind of cool. Well, you know, recently I had all these pavers put in my patio. So the construction company comes over. They're doing what they're doing. I'm making videotapes. I'm laughing. I'm thinking about the good old days when I actually had the strength to do like that. And I could work like that. So the other day, some lady came walking down the street, walking a dog. And she looked at the sign that said, you know, a Pena masonry. Mm -hmm. And she said, did they do your steps? And I said, yes. And she goes, I know, how did it get done? And I says, well, you know, they do this and they do that. I says, you know, they even did my yard. I says, why don't you go ahead and walk down the driveway and go see what they did in the yard? So the lady with her dog, she walks down the driveway and she's wow. And I should give them a call. And I said, yeah. She goes, well, I recently was talking to a relative and my relative said that they would do it. And I go, yeah. And she goes, yeah, but I don't think it's a good idea because I go, yep, don't hire family. Right. <laughs> Just my opinion. Right. <laughs> and she goes, you know, you're right. I should call them. So I made a friend. He'll probably get a job. Right. And she'll have a, a relationship with her relative the rest of her life for not hiring. Them <laughs> that's pretty cool. And that's actually what I based on the TV series I wrote about. Just commonality because it's actually funny it's funny that this woman came walking down the street because while we're talking about the pavers and construction she's not looking at me like i'm anything other than some guy who was just standing there <laughs> yeah. but i know later on she's gonna go wait a minute wait a minute that's that guy who everybody kind of knows from comedy sure and i and in the meantime you know, the dog was pooping on my lawn. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit you can blow out with that whole thing, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I wanted to ask you, I, um, I, did my, I did my 12 years in Catholic school, uh, and both of my kids each did 16 years. They actually went to uh, 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 Catholic college for four years each. And uh, believe it or not, they still speak to me. But the... Um, you know, we know you draw a lot from your Italian heritage, but have you developed any of your material or used any of your Catholic upbringing or your Catholic school upbringing in your material at all? I never really have, but I probably should because it's funny. Uh, it's it, fertile it's ground. Funny. It's I, I would I think first, it'd be fertile ground. First and second grade, I went to a Catholic school where we had nuns who were petrifying, but you did, you did what you were supposed to do oh, yeah. and you grew up disciplined. Then when I moved to Scotch Plains, 
I went to the public schools, but I still had to go to catechism or Sunday school at St. Bart's. So I made my Holy Communion in them and, um, and all of that stuff. But my first job at 13 years old was to work at the church with three of your friends. So we would go to the church on a Wednesday night and set up the tables and chairs for the people to play bingo. You know, that Catholic gambling game <laughs> <laughs> where you can get glasses of wine. <laughs> so we cleaned up when the bingo was over. And it was petrifying because you're only 13. You're there with two other kids and everybody's gone. And you're in that church with all those statues. And you figure you don't walk out until about 10 o'clock at night. The lights are out. And, of course, we had to go back behind the, uh, whatever the stage was called. It was called something where the priest would stand. The altar. The altar. And, and clean up. Your kids. What would you think we did? We went and yeah. took big chunks of host. <laughs> we would drink some of the wine. And uh, there wasn't really anything to take. But we would think, you know, it was petrifying. It was, you only had a certain amount of time to finish before the doors locked you in. <laughs> That's, and That's we would go into the confession booth. Hey, forgive me. I didn't mean it. You know? <laughs> so there's a little oh. clowning around that going there. Uh, oh, going Mike, on. please. You got to do, you got to, you got to get some material. And that is, it's like I said, fertile ground. Absolutely fertile ground. The, um, uh, but, um, uh, you know, the, you were talking about, uh, you talked about, I, I, I saw somewhere about, you were talking about your grandfather's shoe store in Italy. Uh, yeah. And then he kind of transferred that over to Jersey City when he moved to Jersey City. The, um, uh, you know, the baseball bat in the car. I mean, you just got, you, know, you, you, you touch all the bases. I can, and I can see, and by the way, you know, this doesn't, just fly in New Jersey and Metro New York and Philly and Baltimore and, 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 and Boston, you were making, you made a comment about how your act really plays well, pretty much all over the country, if not all over the world, because you travel the world doing your act. And um, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Can you talk to that a bit? Why, you know, how does that work? I, I you know, what's the connection? First of all, everybody, or mostly everybody has a family and doesn't mean that they have to be from an Italian family to get what I'm talking about. Cause everybody has that grandfather who said the funniest, silliest things, because that's where he comes from. That's the way the world is or was in his life. So my grandfather was a shoemaker. And when he was living in Jersey city, he really did have a shoe store and that's his cash register. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's wow. real. That's cool. Now that cash register stayed there for many, many years. And then it was given to one of the children, which would be my cousins, the older cousins. Uh, it was put in somebody's house for quite some time. And then it was given to me. And I took it to a repair place and I had it redone. It cost me $2,500 for them to tell me where, when, and how. Watch, I'll just look real quick. It's, it's from 1886. Wow. That's how old that is. That's cool. 
and it works. Wait a minute. Hey, you're making me look like a liar. It's stiff. All right, somebody must have messed with it. <laughs> Everybody okay. wants to touch it, you know? I don't know why it's not working. Oh, there it is. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so it's nostalgia. And there's also um, other pieces of the shoe shop in the ceiling of the house. I wish I had more. There's pictures of it in this house with my grandfather working on it and making, making shoes for people. I wish I had some of those machines because I like collectibles. I like antiques. But those routines work because everybody knows somebody like that. So in my family, my uncle Tommy was the one who stood out the most. And he was a cross between Lieutenant Columbo and Archie Bunker. So he was the first character that I did on stage. I was working on him yesterday. He had him critiquing movies. And uh, my uncle would do things like, oh, you kids don't know how good you got it, you sons of bitches. <laughs> when I was a little kid, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Jersey City, and I had 16 brothers and sisters. So in the morning, we only had eight pairs of shoes. So if you didn't get a pair of shoes, you had to go to school in your sacks. <laughs> and we only had four pairs of socks between us. So if you didn't get the shoes or the socks, you got your ass kicked because you got up late, stupid. <laughs> and uh, I used to do that on stage because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Everyone can hilarious. relate to that one. Everybody has somebody like that in their oh, life. For sure. You sit down having dinner with everybody and he would go like this. Eh, did you watch your president talking today? Finally, he listened to your uncle. <laughs> he said, Uncle Tommy, you don't know the president. He goes, I knew him when he was nothing but a singer in Hoboken. <laughs> he's not a singer. He's an actor. They're all actors. <laughs> but oh, when you develop a character, like obviously it's based on Uncle Tommy. There's a literal Uncle Tommy in the world, right? But how do you, you build a character and you create a bit out of it? You can exaggerate the truth. So whatever he said, you said. I started doing stand-up about my mother. That was the first thing I ever did on stage. My mother never had a driver's license. I think back in the day, some people were afraid to drive. Right. My mother was very small. Um, so she never had a driver's license. So if she needed to go to a store and I got to the age where I was driving, she would guilt you into taking her to the store. And that's where my first routine came from. And I think I'm going to bring it back to life because I haven't done it in 20 years. And um, I think the 10 year anniversary of my mom's passings next week. You know, my mother passed away during Sandy, the storm. Oh, so we couldn't bury my mother. It took seven days of her laying in the local, um, not mortuary, but the funeral home. And we're Catholic, so you can't close the casket. Right. I remember calling saying, how long could a person stay in the casket? And the guy goes, I think the record is 30 days. And I'm like, there's a record? <laughs> I didn't think anybody had to wait. But we couldn't go because of the storm. The trees right. were down, right. no electric. You couldn't have a funeral or dig, they were rationing the gas sides of the street, odd and even. Right. So um, 
I remember how I would, my mother would wait for me to come home from school. I'd pull into the driveway with, you know, an old beat up car from back in the day. Michael, you got to take me to the store. And it's not for me. It's not for you. It's for your father. And you know how he gets. So you better get me going and let's get that, that thing. I go, well, what is it? She says, well, milk and bread or, or eggs. And she would say things like this. And then I said, okay. So every time I would take my mother to the store, there was another store she had to go to first that she didn't of tell course. you about. <laughs> yeah. On the way, we should stop over and get some raviolis for your father. So she would go into an Italian deli, then you'd go into the meat place, then you'd go into the candy place, then you'd finally get it to the store. So I would make up a whole routine about spending the day with my mother. And then when I got home, I would say, okay, we're home. Did you get everything? Oh, I forgot that stuff for your father. <laughs> After going to eight stores. I got you guys to giggle. So I think I better pull that all back to life. I deliver it a lot better now than I ever did. But it was, it was the funniest thing. And all the people my mother knew, knew she was going to be saying what she was saying. Now you, um, it, it reminds me, you, are you able to talk about this, this vision that you have or idea for the future project about growing up in kind of a small community? Yeah. Talk through well, that. Uh, it's an intriguing vision. Truth, you have. The truth is always funny, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So about five years ago, I shot a pilot in this town and it was called Reconstructing Jersey. And it was about coming from the storm and the construction company and family. Basically, what I'd be doing now is almost the same thing. But the truth is, you know, I had an unbelievable, great life in the Hollywood Sunset Strip as a comedian at the Laugh Factory, the comedy store. I was a very well-known guy and I was on so many different shows and TV that when I would come into town, you know, you're a, you're a local celebrity. And uh, in my mind, I'm not the biggest celebrity that I ever wanted to be. I'm not what I wanted to be. But the town looks at you like, yes, you are. Holy mm -hmm. mackerel. I'm sure. And so I'm sure that's like that for a lot of different people. So I thought the story would be great if it was the celebrity coming back to save the family business and save the family from hardships and start meeting the people that you grew up with back in the day. And finally, you're going to bump into the high school sweetheart that got away because of showbiz. She's not too thrilled with you anymore. But you could rekindle that flame and find out that one of those three kids belongs to somebody. Yeah. Stay around. Plus, local people are funny. Oh, they are. The butcher, the guy who owns the deli, the guy who cuts your hair. They are just funny so the things people say to me i could write down and put in a show in lightning speed so one day i did come into town and the and the butcher said to me with all the blood on his white jacket and that big cleaver in his hand he goes hey mike man what's it like to be a celebrity and i said are you hiring <laughs> <laughs> and you know they would look at you like what aren't you rich <laughs> and i like that Sure. I remember the one butcher said to me, he goes, hey, hey, look at you. You're famous. You fixed up your face. You never put me in any of your movies. I go, that's Rocky. <laughs> I was never in Rocky. No, no, I know. I know. I'm just saying. You want to go in the, the freezer and hit the beef? I go, you don't even have that kind of beef here. 
Well, you can hit a stake. You hit the stake. I go, I was not in that movie. What are you talking about? But you see how funny that is? Like, you guys are laughing. These guys act like that. I could be, I could, I could have been a star. Like, yeah. So when I said to the one guy, I go, I'd really like to work here at the butcher shop. He goes, we're union butchers. <laughs> hey, well, maybe I could just work. Maybe I could, bur- I just need to be around it. It's an apprentice, an apprentice butcher. You're yeah. the, the mundane aspects of everyday town life. It is funny. There is, there's comedy there. That, is. Your mom, uh, may she rest in peace. Um, I, I, <laughs> and again, I know you, 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 you got a lot from her and you probably develop and you developed a lot of material from her, but the one piece, and I hate to say this cause I, Mike, I am, I am a full fledged fan. The, the last supper was off the charts. I mean, that was up no more, <laughs> no more. Tell everybody no more. <laughs> I've had it. We're not doing it no more. And here we are at the, at the time where you feel like, oh, please do it. <laughs> please. Oh, my God. Where yeah. is everybody? Oh. She was so right because she used to go like this all the time. Someday your mother's not going to be here. And you know what that means? Nobody's going to cook for anybody. In fact, you'll probably end up ordering food from another place. That's you know? it. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> she wasn't far. Yeah, I was going to say she wasn't too far off. The, uh, uh, my grandmother was very much like that. My little Italian grandmother. Um, uh, but a lot of what you talk about, it's, it's funny. You touch all the bases for me. I mean, uh, I'm crying two ways when I, when I hear some of the stuff that you do, especially about your family. Um, I'm crying cause I'm laughing so hard, but I'm also crying because it just, it, it just brings back so many, I, I'm dead serious, Michael. It brings back so many memories for me. Because uh, I grew up in an Italian family um, from out of, out of Baltimore, and um, in fact, the uh, I had I had a couple of things here I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, if you can indulge me on this just for a couple of minutes. Sauce or gravy? <laughs> well, we said gravy. Okay, you wouldn't cut it in Baltimore for ten minutes. It's it was sauce. <laughs> it was sauce. You know, I had a linguist on my show to explain her reasonings from saying suka, which is from uh, Sicily, and she right. talked all about the regions and why everybody speaks so differently. But when you when your real family does come from Italy and they said gravy there mm-hmm. and brought it here, when everybody says it's a New York New Jersey thing, no, it's not. It's from wherever they came from, and my mother would explain. It's gravy because she puts in meat. So she had sausages and brajol, my favorite brajol, Mm -hmm. meatballs and uh, pork. And this made it thick and rich, calling it gravy. If she didn't put in any meats in there, it was marinara which she would say was sauce. There you go. My mother never said marinara. She said marina. Mm-hmm. So we thought as kids, that's what you call it, marina. Right. So when I got older and you went somewhere and you said, oh, you have a marina, they say, what the hell? <laughs> but on the flip note, 
me and my two brothers don't speak Italian because my mother said, you're American, you're only going to speak American, we are going to assimilate to the American way. So we don't speak Italian. That was beautiful. That's we, this part. This part gets gets bracketed, Mark. I mean, well, that, that's that's the best explanation I've ever heard of the difference between sauce and gravy. Well, there's there's that's two things in fantastic. there. The, the Italian culture, they drop a syllable. So it's not prosciutto. It's prosciutto. It's not mozzarella. It's mozzarella. Right. They drop a syllable. There, there's kind of quirkiness there. But the interesting thing is, you know, the is there any better story in America than the immigrant the people that come from Italy? Honduras, no. wherever they come from, and then they they make that choice, like your parents, they either assimilate or they don't, and they kind of hang on to their old world. But that is America is the melting pot of the world. I mean, it really is, and that's what creates so much interest in different uh, you know experiences for people growing up in it. It really does, and funny stuff too, and funny stuff. That's all right. why sometimes when you watch all these programs and everybody's saying, you know, we all to be, we all need to be one. We all need to be one. No, you all need to be okay with each other being who they are. That's right. Otherwise, it's going to be boring. That's, that's there's so many different cultures on this block. I'll eat in anybody's house. I'm going. If I'm hungry, I'll try the food. So many people say to me when I go to different places and in, in parts of the country, I know a great place for Italian food. Why would I want to do that? That's right. <laughs> that's right. I want to taste something of the culture of where I'm going. Good right. point. Yeah. One of my last shows, there was a guy from India and his whole family was on the, on the, uh, at the show and they were sitting in the audience. And when the show was over, they came over to me in their accents and they were saying how great the show was. And they were dressed in, let's say the clothing that they wear. And it's obvious they're from India, authentic India. Well, this man had to impersonate me in front of me oh this is the ultimate compliment i've had this done so many times i love it i videotaped him i had to have it but he went like this he goes i i don't know nothing i don't say nothing <laughs> i kill you i'm like whoa i didn't say kill <laughs> but he was so enthusiastic about yeah. showing his family how he could do me and then I said, so let me get this straight. It's okay for you to impersonate me. But if I was to say, oh, no, no coffee, you're going to get mad at me. <laughs> you see, it's just, it's so fun that people are happy when they can imitate each other and not be offended. It's fun. No, I had an eight-year-old boy impersonate me. Okay. I had a bunch of young kids impersonate me. That's great. It's absolutely great. That really does have to feed the ego when you see somebody trying to imitate you. But what, what a compliment that is. Yeah. Well, my neighbor heard the Jersey tenors singing here the other night. They were great. And they all all the kids were at the windows looking in the basement windows, you know, knocking on the door. Could they come in. And I would love something like that. We're still doing the whole COVID check and I'm not supposed to let people in. So I couldn't, but I think it's adorable. As a 14-year-old kid maybe wants to be a singer and they hear sure. real Broadway singers are here in this house. I mean, the guy was in, in um, Phantom of the Opera. He was the lead in Phantom of the Opera. 
The other guy was the lead in Spider-Man. They're here on the show. And, you know, we're not great friends, but we're acquaintances from doing shows on the road. That's why this girl from Germany is calling me. She goes, I can't believe you're friends with Dina. And I'm like, well, yeah, I sometimes don't really think of it that way because we're close. But what a legacy. I mean, her father's Dean Martin. That's fantastic. And we get to hear stories at restaurants that most people don't get to hear, like how she lived next to Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. <laughs> crazy. It really crazy. is. What do you, well, if you, I'm sure you've come across young comics, young actors, they come to you, they ask you for advice. And this is a tough business, show business. You're, you're auditioning. It seems like you're only earning money for your next gig, unless you're trying to develop multiple streams of income. Uh, whether that's merch or different, different things, projects. What advice do you have for people that are aspiring to get into your industry? Is it something that you would encourage or not? Because it's a really tough industry. I don't know if I've never been married and I have no children. I think if I did, I would say, don't do this. This is not an easy life. Every day you're on the hunt for a job. That's your job is to hunt for a job. Mm -hmm. And even if you got a string of bookings and you're making great money, you got to be careful of your own personal thinking because you're giving up a lot to do what we do. You get to see the world, but then you come home. Sometimes you're always by yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest thing to do when you want to be in a relationship with someone because they're not going to understand unless they're single and they want to see the world. And uh, there's no guarantee that it's going to keep on going. So, but I don't know any other business. This is all I've ever done. I'm doing right. this since I'm a kid. And I've always earned a living. And um, if I was to quit showbiz tomorrow, I'd be okay the rest of my life to retire. Good. But I'm not going to. I'm going out like Don Rickles. Oh, man. I'll perform, yeah. I'll perform up until the day I can't get on stage. That's awesome. So if the lifestyle, let's say... Uh, the lifestyle was consistent with the, uh, you know, they can do that in terms of all the challenges you're saying with the lifestyle. Is it, you got to be comfortable with rejection because you're going to get told no more than you're going to say, yeah, come on. Or what, what are the, uh, the real challenges they're going to confront? Um, are we allowed to curse on your show? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the bullshit. You're constantly being lied to. Hmm constant it's just so much bullshit we get bullshitted so much i should be a multi multi billionaire that's how much money i've been promised here's what we're going to do that's usually the sign nothing's going to happen get it we'll get away from this conversation but and i don't know why it's like that i i just never knew i i always tell people you've been better off telling me i wish i could help you but i can't because we could help our ourselves but sometimes you put faith in other people and it pulls you backwards i'm at a point in my career right now where i create the actual uh, workload Mm -hmm. so i'm fine i have one employee she produces everything that i do and uh we tough it out so i'm fine and i can keep on creating luckily my podcast my tours are earning the sponsorships because the sponsorships are great i'm doing tv commercials since i'm a child i know how to write copy i know how to promote i know how to hold a product 
I know how to give it that grin. These right. are delicious. Right. I mean, I'm doing it since I'm a kid. So this is the, the luck of where I am in my career. If you look at a lot of child stars who are no longer in the industry, that's real. So do you want early success and fame and nobody knows who you are when you get to your 30s and 40s? Or do you want an even keel where you're always earning a living? Um, so I'm pretty, pretty fortunate. By the way, these are Zeppelin Mix, and you can get them at ZeppelinMix.com. Great, great package. Uh, we can't wait to try <laughs> ours. Great. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> how does that? Mark, I'll give Mark. I'll give him a call. I'll the it's uh, been in 25 years in the food business. I love that package. The uh, <laughs> partnerships like that that you have with the Zeppelin Mix versus yeah, they all work together, right? Sponsorships versus getting on stage and performing. But how do you think through all the different streams of income that you have? to kind of be where you want to be? Well, there's so many different ways to earn uh, money in this industry now with the social media right. and sponsorships. So uh, we're lucky that I have that. Like I make money off my YouTube channel. I make money off the, uh, the podcast. And then I have my tours where I make money. I have some residuals coming in from other shows that I've done. Uh, the web series we did, Make America Italian Again, was distributed on a streaming channel. So that makes some money. So, and I do a cruise ship pretty much every month, which is steady money. That's great. It's a guarantee. So, I mean, there's like so many different avenues to go down. This is fun for me. I love doing this type of thing. And recently, a lot of people who bought it are making videotapes of them saying, wow, this is great. And they send it to me awesome. as if I own the product, but I don't. I'm just like the face of the product. Right which is kind of cool because then I send it to the guy who really does own it, Joe Camarieri, and uh, he's happy and I wish him all the best. This is actually a great product. I was asked to promote another product at one time and it was this lotion that you put on your face and I actually had to say, no, I'm not going to be good at it. I don't wear it. I don't even know anything about it. And they said, well, we're looking to pay you so much money. And I go, yeah, but guess what's, what's going to happen? Someone's going to see that I'm not successful successful promoting that right so they're not going to want to get involved right. with me on anything else maybe something that i would be good so i actually do turn things down to say hey you know i don't know what that is that's smart an action drink i would never drink that this is really great i know i, I I'm, I'm plugging it but i actually like it it's a i i like it you could make this it's easy to make and he even he even gave me he a bunch of these brown bags <laughs> that you put the zaplas in the bag you put the powdered sugar and you shake it like you're at the amusement park well it's when well, you, you get of, it why don't you why don't you tell us tell us where where, where can you find it where can you buy it zaplamix.com z-e-p-p-o-l-e mix zaplamix.com gotcha. and uh it comes to your house look as a business geek that thing hits the sweet spot when you think of you don't have to be yeah, and October is Italian American uh, Italian Heritage Month, right? So you got the San Gennaro Festival locally here. Mike, we talked about Mike Bull on the Labor Day. I talked about the St. Bartholomew Festival every Labor Day weekend. Yep. You've got this all over the country. And when you think of these festivals, that is part of it. The brown bag with the little grease spots and the powdered sugar. And he captures that in a bag. It's brilliant what he did. It really is. Fried, the fried dough. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's really funny, too? Uh, talk about going to St. Bart's Festival. Mm -hmm. now i remember when the summer was over you came back to that festival 
and you were getting ready to be a senior in high school and you did anything and anything you can to walk around like you're in shape with your Cavaricis on hand, your Cavaricis, your Capizios and uh, the smell of the Zapel is in the air with the sausage and peppers, the cheesesteaks. Yep. And uh, the girls and the guys wearing Dracar Noir. Yep. And you couldn't wait to be a senior. And that's growing up grand. That, that is absolutely, that's Italian heritage. That's our town. But that's, that, that happens all across America in these little towns where they've got some event and it ca- captures those memories. You're exactly right. And I remember that St. Bart's Festival, you know, whether you go to the Jersey Shore for the summer, you're coming back for Labor Day weekend to go to that festival. I mean, was that the same for you? The hottest day of the year. You're like, you know what? We got to get to St. Bart's. That's right. Summer's not over. No, no. We get to, everybody's going to be there. The kids, everybody's going home. That's right. Got to go home. Remember the, the beach chairs and the packing and the, uh, the Chevys. Uh, what was dad's car? The, the, the wagon with the four doors and the, and the extra seats in the back. Oh, the Caprice? What was the wagon called? Station wagon. <laughs> <laughs> We got to get in the station wagon. <laughs> did, did the Jersey Shore experience shape you growing up? Oh, yeah. It, what, what I'm part? trying to make a documentary about it. I got 15 summers on DVD with, with my friends from 1985 to 2000. What part? Yeah, no, we got Jersey Shore pictures all around this house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was a seaside or what part? We were, we were Belmar. Oh, Belmar. Okay. Yeah. Belmar, when it was a town filled with bars and places to party and nightclubs, dance clubs. Now, I'm curious on those 15, those DVDs, you just captured the raw footage? No, since I was an actor, since I'm a kid, I was making little movies. So I filmed everybody and I would interview everybody. I would talk to everybody. It actually looks like the first reality show ever filmed. Wow. 85. Mm. My Uncle Tommy's in it. My father's in it. Parents are in it. And then all the people you met for 15 summers playing wiffle ball, water skiing, going surfing. I even have interiors of nightclubs, dancing. Wow. You name it. That's got to be golden footage to cut into something. Pretty amazing to watch because they're actually talking to each other. It's not like it's a home movie. There's conversations being had. So if I could get this in the right hands of the right people, it would be a hit because people around the world would probably love to watch what they did in the 80s. And of course, the one hit wonders, MTV, all the stuff that we were doing, what we wore. I'm a collector, so my whole house has all the collectibles. And that's how I met this lady who gave me the jacket that got me on the marquee because I was doing one of my podcasts and I said, I have this jacket from 1986 and it has the Archies on the shoulders. And she said, oh, you could only get them at the merry-go-round stores and the merry-go-round stores were only in the malls. And I'm like, wow. And she said, you have one. I said, yeah. And she goes, that's worth about two, $3,000. So to unpack that, that the growing up grand brings in those tapes from the past? Could, could. I'd like to make them two different projects. Two different projects. And is it a matter, like you said, is it a matter of just getting, the, getting to the right people to, to try and finance it? Is that kind of how it works or? Financing is always hard to find because, of course, show business is the scariest place to put your money. But I made four DVDs, comedy DVDs, and they were all made for $25,000 a piece. And they both made, all four of them made over 100 grand. Wow. 
you know, and if you get the right sponsors, they're going to pay for half the stuff that you're doing anyway. So on November 26th, I'm going to do NJ Pack. NJ Pack is in Newark. I'll do that. It's going to be like my sixth performance there. We sell it out at 500 tickets. Sponsors come in, have some fun. It's a successful night. So sure. if I was to film it, I could probably get it aired on Netflix and that's a new project, but I want to do something bigger now. I've done sure. all of that. Now it's time to do something bigger. Right. And we're always challenged. The first time I ever do it, did a major DVD, I did it at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey, because of the ambiance. Sure. The theater was condemned. So they gave it to me for free. Wow. When we went in there to shoot, I kind of felt like it was a bad idea because nothing was working. And who was going to go there? Because Asbury Park was condemned. Uh, 1,700 people showed up. Wow. And it was the biggest night of my life. And when I walked through that curtain, I never saw that many people in my life in one theater. And there was a fire marshal backstage. And he actually said to me, we have a serious problem. And I said, what's the problem? He goes, you're at capacity and there's a hundred people trying to get in. And I go, huh, that's not a problem. Wow. Success. <laughs> Open the curtain. Right. <laughs> and nobody expected that to happen. The cops didn't know. There weren't even any restaurants in the town. So how high is your adrenaline at that point? Oh. oh. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you can package that feeling. All the time, what's it feel like? It's the greatest, it's better than any great sex you've ever had, better right. than any food you've ever had, better than any, any drug you'll ever do. It's a euphoria that takes you to a planet that you can't get to all the time and, and you just start jonesing. Oh, I gotta have it, let's do this again. <laughs> right. Please, gotta do it again, gotta do it again. That's why a lot of comedians do drugs and off themselves because they can't get that high again. Sure. It's just like doing some kind of a drug. And then, you know, what also makes you feel high is someone will come up to you somewhere, some happy, somewhere, some way and say, you've uh, made me happy. I was doing really bad and I saw you and now I feel great. Well, that's going to send you through the roof too. Right. And uh, there's a bunch of shows that I'm going to be doing for charities. And you do them pro bono, you do them for free or a really small amount of money but you look at the problems other people have in the world and you think i don't have anything wrong i'm perfect yep i'm fine what do you want this is what makes you happy really sometimes i could go into a store and like the other day i was in the home depot and i was doing self-checkout and you get the little gun and i'm going like this okay and then I'm, and i'm in the home depot so in my head, I'm writing jokes. I'm thinking, okay, I should come here with an orange shirt. Start telling people, you know, and they're in the wrong line. I'm going on break. Or maybe somebody will say, sir, I'm looking for a screw. And I'm like, yeah, I work in plumbing. <laughs> I want to do stuff like that. It's funny. So I was checking myself out and some big guy with all this wood is behind me. And he goes, oh man, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I looked at him like, I'm almost done. Am I in the wrong line? Right. <laughs> and he goes, what you doing in here? <laughs> I said, I'm buying some wood. <laughs> and he goes, 
He goes, listen to this. He goes, you just walk out in public. <laughs> and I go, well, what do you mean? And he goes, you ain't got no security. <laughs> and then you start to realize, well, they look at me in a completely different right. way. Absolutely. And there's right, other yeah. people standing there wondering what he's talking about. Right. Because they don't know who the hell I am. Right. And I'm going like this. Oh, mister, I thought maybe you were going to kick my ass. <laughs> And he goes, yeah, boy, you just walk out. You just walk out. <laughs> I go, well, what'd you think? I was going to have some, some girls on their panties at me. <laughs> hey, I got a question for you. Ship, a lot of people will ask me, how, you know, you just walk out and talk to people. And I go, yeah. Just like hey, that. I, I got know? a question for you. It's a, I, I just, I just noticed this in my notes too. Where did you come up with that 67 Mustang that looks like the bullet Mustang? My 67 Mustang was the first car I ever owned. Bought it for 600 bucks. Found it in the, uh, do you remember the auto trader? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the, bought, auto bought trader. the auto trader. <laughs> and you had to call people. Everybody had the same area code. And the, 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 black uh, picture, of the, car, the picture of the car is that big. And it looks great in that picture. So. Yeah. That's, I wish I still had it. I had that Mustang remodeled like three times. I think I sold it for like $5,000. Oh, I'm not surprised. I wonder where it is. I wonder where it is. But that's, that's back in the day when you put the nose of a car in your garage and you and your father remodeled it. Remember there you that? Go. You remember oh, when yeah. you took off the uh, catalytic converter and your father said, this is what this is. And these are the points. These are the plugs. This is how you take care of your car. And it was a different day. Oh, yeah. right? Until I couldn't understand it anymore. I changed. I used to change my own oil and hang my own brakes. It's the, uh, you know, it's just, that's what you did. You learned that growing up. So God, God bless anybody that could do that now. Jeez. Right. The, uh, uh, but the, uh, uh, I just thought that was when I saw the car, I said, okay. It's, he has arrived. <laughs> Mike, Mike has arrived. Oh. I kept well, that car for years. Well, as, as you should. For a little while. And then I, uh, of course, got the IROC 1986. Oh, classic. The T-tops. Yep. Jeez. Rack and pinion steering. Did you have the, uh, the fuzzy dice from the, the mirror? <laughs> no, I didn't have that, but I did have the Italian horn and I had the black bra. Yep. That went over the front. They <laughs> called it bra. That's right. Yep. Bra. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a whole on it, made it nice and shiny. Right. There is a whole Jersey subculture. We just, we talked about the shore. You've got all these different spots in Jersey. I mean, it really is a, I think it gets a bad rep uh, nationally. The Jersey, you know, when people think of Jersey, if you're not from here, it's more negative than positive, I think. But. No. I've lived in Connecticut, Boston, Cincinnati, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, and there's always a gravitational pull coming back to Jersey for me. I like being here. I'm happy. Yeah, me too. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, me too. Who made the Who made the wine for your family dinners on Sunday? Um, our family really didn't make wine, but two doors down, that's what I mean. Family, they made wine, so you got it over there and. I remember drinking wine out of a seven up bottle. 
Any bottle they could find, they That's filled right. it with, with wine. Is that, 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 that seven up? No, no, it's it's wine. <laughs> some wine tasted like grape juice and some wine tasted like vinegar. <laughs> yeah. Every time we had wine, my father, my grandfather would make our wine. And um, it's you had to cut it with ginger ale. That was the only way you could drink it. That's the only it's the only way you could drink, the only way ginger you could get ale. it down. And God bless you if you did if you didn't drink it. You were a pariah. The Italian healer, ginger ale. That's it. I got a sore throat. Have for, some ginger ale. For, for I got digestion. Have some ginger ale. I broke my leg. Have some ginger ale. But you gotta you gotta stir that you gotta stir the bubbles out of it first. Yeah, That's for digestion. The, uh... All right. Best nun's name. Sister Nicolina. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Uh, mine, Sister Annunziata. Yours, yours tops mine. There's no question about that. There was a real Sister Nicolina. That was a real Sister Annunciata. The, um... <laughs> <laughs> what was your, who was your best friend growing up? Mike Platt. Mike Platt. The um... Irish fella. This he was... used to get in fights all the time. <laughs> while you were there? While you were with yeah. him? Mike Platt. You still keep in touch with him? I don't know. Yeah, I am. He's, he's down on the Jersey Shore. Great. I'm still in touch with a lot of my friends still. And I remember he had this car. It was a two-door, and it had a three-speed on the console. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. This is the – this. I, I, I'm, I'm asking this question only because this is tattooed in my brain forever and always, and I'll ask you this question. We ate the same way you did. You ate in the basement. You did not eat up in the proper kitchen up on the first floor. You just didn't do that. Okay. That was for people that we didn't know. Okay. That was for, God only knows who those people were, but downstairs there were, there were three pictures on the wall. Okay. The picture at the top was Pope Paul the sixth. Okay. That was number one. Number two, right underneath of that was John and Jackie Kennedy. Okay, the Time magazine, you know, it's my grandmother bought that and got that framed. And the third one right at the bottom, just underneath of that, was Bruno San Martino wearing his world wrestling championship, his world wrestling championship belt. That's exactly how that lined up. And that that tells you everything that you need to know about the Italian side of my family. That's all you need to know. That tells you virtually everything you're going to need to know. You have anything similar to that? Anything like that? Well, there definitely was Bruno San Martino. Next to Bruno was Frank Sinatra, and Thank then you. there was the Pope. And they're still on the walls now. Jesus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jesus. That was a that was in a separate room. Yeah. <laughs> that was in a separate room, and that's Let you woke up and looked up, and there he was. Yeah, exactly. When we were kids at Grandma's. And we did something wrong. My mother would say, go in the other room and pray to Jesus and pray that Jesus doesn't do something bad to you because you're being bad. Watch this. Oh. <laughs> and that's what it looked like. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's. And that would scare the pants off of you. Boy. He's got blood. Yeah, the good Lord's got blood. He's got blood dropping from the crown of thorns. Come on. It's could you imagine how old this is? Oh my yeah. god, it works! Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a graphic 3D right there. 
Hey, you wake up to that, you're three years old. It's it's not a it's not a pleasant sight. Yeah. It's, it's you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's blasphemy. Mike, that's blasphemy. <laughs> I don't know what blasphemy is. This would scare us like you have no idea. It's even written in Latin. Oh man. That's Those a classic eyes. move. Did you have to play an instrument when you were growing up? Drum set's right over there since I'm 13 years old. My brother played the trumpet and the other brother plays the bass. Nobody in your family played the accordion. There's an accordion in this house. The accordion's from 1961. It would belong to my uncle. I think they played it once or twice and it just sits there. That's, I had to ask. I have, and I, I had a reason for asking. I wonder because if it's worth any money, but there's an accordion in this basement. The um, uh, altar boy or patrol boy? Actually, uh, my one brother was an altar boy. No, I think both brothers were. I never was. And, um, yeah, we did the patrol boy thing in uh, junior high. When it was a thing where you were supposed to rat on your friends. Florence oh, yeah. Orange. That's okay. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> the fluorescent Man. orange. Yeah. I actually think it was white. We had a was white it? one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a white strap that came right across your chest. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it was the precursor to the, uh, to the shoulder, uh, to the, uh, uh, you know, to the seatbelt. The uh, favorite saying in your family, you know, I, I, obviously your, your line is get the bat, but the, when you were growing up, what was the, something your mom said, something your dad said, one of your brother, what did, what was the, what was the favorite one? The one that you remember the most? Shut up and eat. <laughs> I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah, I get it. Yeah, nice <laughs> Shut up and eat. <laughs> Wake your father, the water's boiling. <laughs> Does that one ring out to anybody? My oh, yeah. said, Wake your father, the water's boiling. We used to <laughs> we used to go when I was uh when I was on the road years ago and my my grandmother was still alive. She lived in Baltimore. My grandfather had passed. And I uh I'd spent three days in Baltimore. You, and you miss Jesus going across gonna... <laughs> the street. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> <laughs> that is classic oh man <laughs> oh that's perfect well look that that is the perfect that, where one where did that come from where did that come the move across the screen is classic he's the bouncer at the bar <laughs> i have collectibles everywhere oh <clears throat> Well, that's look, we've been good. we've been going here for an hour and twenty. So let's. Uh, why don't you yeah, tell that's our... Mike? Why don't we tell us where can people find out more about you? And and baby Jesus there. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything is at mikemarino.net. That's my uh, main uh, way of getting in touch with me. That's my website, mikemarino.net, and all social media is at Mike Marino Live. My YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, TikTok, at Mike Marino Live. And what I would encourage people, I believe you do your morning walk on Instagram Live, right? That that pops up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I highly recommend people. I've gotten a lot of joy from that. So you're obviously we plan on going to one of your shows, but that morning walk to me is precious. That's 
that's classic. And that Jesus is unbelievable. <laughs> We've got a snapshot that and make a frame out of it. <laughs> take the good Lord on, take the good Lord on a walk with you one, one morning. <laughs> oh, this has been a lot of fun, man. Look, we appreciate it. Well, uh, this will probably post in about, we typically post, I don't know, four or five weeks after. We got a, a few to get through and then we'll edit it and then push it out there. Thanks for Let taking me know. the time. I'll put it on Mike. my social media. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. That was very, Look, very A lot fun. of fun, Mike. Appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. You got it. Thank you very much, guys. Thank, Thank you. Right. Take, Take care. Have a good weekend. See ya.